this is all about the way that how do we improve, how do we make human drivers safer drivers by using technology? Really, it's a lot about augmenting the the, the best characteristics of humans because, um, you know, we have got great perception. We've got great path planning. You know, we've got great prediction skills, but we get tired, we get distracted, we get impaired. So really what we're looking at now is, is the coming together of uh, ADAS and DMS in ways that the, the actual performance of the car is changed. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. As always, I'm Alex Roy. I'm here with my uh, co-host, Ed Niedermeyer. Um, I should point out that I'm the uh, uh, co-host of the No Parking Podcast, um, uh, founder of the Human Driving Association, producer of Apex, the Secret Race Across America, um, and the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show. All my opinions are personal. Edward, tell us about yourself. Um, I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors. And I'm very excited to uh, speak to today's guest, as I imagine, Alex, as are you, given that you have been writing about DMS for as long as you, I mean, for a long time now. And our guest happens to be like, one of the leading experts on driver monitoring systems. So, um, Alex, do you want to introduce our guest? Our guest is Colin Barnden, the jefe and honcho behind Semicast Research. Um, and he also writes a column for EE Times. And uh, he really is one of the most interesting and insightful people in the transportation sector and specifically around driver monitoring systems. Welcome, Colin. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you, Ed. Great to be here. Was that an accurate introduction? That's a very accurate introduction. <laughs> Nothing more to add. Very well. Well, let, let's just dive right into it. Um, driver monitoring systems have been um, a topic that is central to cast almost since the beginning. Edward and I have discussed them over and over. And we've talked about companies like Seeing Machines and other and um, their competitors, SmartEye and Jungle and, uh, and other companies. Uh, but most recently, there has been um, hoopla around uh, Tesla, uh, I guess, admitting that they have been using their in-cabin camera to identify beta testers of the full self-driving capability package for the purpose, I guess, of removing them from the program for unsafe behavior. But as Riley Brennan pointed out in his most recent newsletter, they have, uh, Tesla has apparently not enabled this in-cabin camera to identify um, abuse of uh, their driver assistance system, also known as autopilot. Could you, could you, do you have some anything to uh, any anything like to tell us your insights about what they're doing, why they're doing it, or what uh, what they should be doing to improve safety. Of all of the topics we could have started with, it had to be Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be. You can come back to this at the end if you prefer. This is what happens when Kirsten's away. It's a great question, Alex, and. Um, <laughs> I have this saying, once is unfortunate, twice is a pattern. So um, the controversy around uh, Tesla and autopilot, um, let's call that unfortunate. Um, but now all of a sudden, what are they doing with DMS and the in-cabin camera? Um, let's look at it from a technical perspective. There are no infrared emitters. So the uh, functionality of this system uh, in uh, darkness uh, is going to be extremely limited. Um, so from a, a technical perspective, it does not have a safety-centric approach. Mm -hmm. We also know from um, work done by a Twitter user called Green the Only, uh, we know the, uh, the driver classifications that this system has got. Um, and I, I don't have them in front of me, um, but essentially I've looked at them and analyzed them, and they do not have benefit for safety classification so that the the, uh, the the labels that the system is identifying for is things like eyes on road, eyes off road, eyes open. They are unbelievably uh, basic um, uh, classifications for the driver's state. Um, and I've looked at it and 
I would class myself as an expert on drive monitoring systems. So I will say uh, that that system, as far as I'm concerned, has no safety benefit whatsoever. However, if you want to use that to start to try to add confusion around who is liable and what was the driver doing immediately prior to an autopilot crash, um, then the availability of that information, um, you know, driver distracted, drives eyes on road, eyes off road, that I could see would be what you would use those labeling classifications for. Could you perhaps give the audience uh, an overview of the different types of driver monitoring systems? Because placing a camera in the car is in itself solves nothing. It's the, tell us about the different approaches beyond the camera and effectiveness in improving safety of, of vehicles. Your question is specifically about cameras and about safety. Mm-hmm. So uh, a, a camera or, or vision-based driver monitoring system is, in my view, the optimum way to understand uh, driver state, uh, driver attention, driver drowsiness, uh, driver impairment. Um, it's all about the eyes. You know, there's this saying, the eyes have it. Um, and um, as far as driver monitoring really is concerned, you need to have vision-based DMS. Uh, and I'm sure we'll come back later on in the episode to some of the technical specifications about it. But you've got to have infrared illumination so that you have constant illumination of the driver's face or the driver's eyes uh, under all circumstances, irrespective of time of day, irrespective of weather, irrespective of external lighting. Um, you need to have um, uh, uh, an, uh, an even um, uh, illumination situation. And you do that by working in the infrared uh, path. Um, uh, so typically now we're moving to 940 nanometer. Uh, and the key point there is that the sun emits much less radiation at 940 nanometer than it does at 850 nanometer. So there's much less um, interference from the sun um, in the modern driver monitoring systems that we're starting to see come on the market now. But essentially, the, the, the torque-based driver monitoring doesn't really tell you about driver engagement. Um, there's other sensors that you can use, time of flight. That doesn't give you information about driver's eye gaze uh, or attention or engagement level. So really, if you are looking for detailed classification about the driver's uh, attention state, uh, how much are they paying attention to the task of driving, the driver's engagement level, what's their cognition into the task of driving, you need to have a vision-based driver monitoring system. So essentially, the systems that we're seeing, GM Supercruise, uh, Ford's Active Drive Assist, um, there's a, a, an array of systems that are, are coming on in the market um, right now. But what are the uh, different approaches? All right, so assuming you have the correct hardware, you have a camera, you have an infrared emitter, what are the different approaches from the software side, from a human factors not, uh, side that would make these systems different from each other? Certainly, they're not all effective. They're not all equally effective. So there's different parts of the system, really. So uh, in terms of in terms of the actual specifics of the, the technical stuff, and I mean, we're going to go very technical very quickly. So, you know, stop me if this isn't what you want to do. But what you can look at really is photons of light emitting in either 850 nanometer or 940 nanometer. So you have to emit emit light from uh, either uh, or typically infrared LED. So this is called optical path uh, expertise. And this essentially is the way that you illuminate the driver's face and the driver's eye gaze. And the reflections uh, coming off the eyes and coming off the face goes into um, a, typically a CMOS image sensor. Um, and that, that, that picks up the, 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 the pictures. That, that gives you the, uh, uh, the, the, the scene understanding of what's happening in the car. Um, and then onto the image itself, you start doing video analytics. Um, so you're now understanding um, what is the driver's head pose, what, how open are the driver's eyelids, um, are they blinking, how fast are they blinking, how often are they blinking, what is their eye gaze. Um, and essentially, you're shining light onto the driver's eyes. You're, you're then measuring the reflections back of the light from the driver's eyes. And that enables you to estimate the eye gaze vector uh, of where the driver is looking. And, and, and the systems that are coming out now that are state of the art are incredibly precise about understanding the, the zone of the driver's attention. So this is essentially computer vision processing. And then on top of that, you layer AI for uh, driver state analysis around uh, driver attention level, driver engagement level, uh, driver distraction level, uh, all sorts of different signals, which are more than simply where is the driver looking 
uh, and what are they, uh, you know, how open are their eyelids? So you start doing machine learning algorithms to understand a higher level of understanding about what the drivers, uh, where they're looking, what they're doing, how awake are they, how engaged are they, are they paying attention to the road, are they not paying attention to the road, are they looking at their cell phone, and essentially, are they drowsy, are they distracted, or are they impaired? So once you've got that information, what do you do with that? So now we're into the subject of human factors research. So once you've detected that the driver is drowsy, once you've detected that they are distracted, once you've detected they are in some way impaired, you then have to have some techniques, some, some method of bringing the driver back into uh, engaging in the task of driving. Um, and there's huge amounts of work, huge amounts of research and development um, in this subject matter called human factors behavioral research. Question, before we get into human factors, because this is, seems to be a separate problem, from a perception and computer vision standpoint, is there a, are there a lot of differences between the different companies and how accurate their perception is of driver behavior before we get to the human factors? Or are they generally in the same boat? Okay, so we are talking here about an application in the real world of machine learning. And as I say to people when I'm having my, my private briefings, the company with the largest data set wins. That, that is true of Facebook. It's true of Amazon. It's true of Netflix. It's true of Google. So when we're looking at driver monitoring, if we want to understand who is going to have the most advanced system, we need to look at the company with the most advanced naturalistic training data. And that company, in my view, as a, a, a DMS analyst, is seeing machines. And that information, that, that data set is coming through from the work that they're gathering from the Guardian um, uh, fleet system, which is installed in heavy trucks. I think they've got somewhere over 25,000 trucks uh, operating in different countries around the world, 24 hours a day. Um, and essentially what that is doing is it's gathering video footage in real time of distraction events, fatigue events, all sorts of edge cases which um, uh, interrupt the uh, the normal uh, driver's um, uh, 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 dr driving style. And this video is, is used as real-time analysis, real-time alert. So uh, you can uh, sound an alarm, you can uh, activate a seat vibrate. Um, these are applications of human factors in the, 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 in the cabin. What Seeing Machines is doing also, though, is it's taking those video clips and it's feeding it into a, a machine learning algorithm to actually train the system so that all of the, the all of the video data that it's gathering on distraction and fatigue events, it can be used to train the system and the accuracy of the algorithms further. Now, I think they've got something like 6.3 billion kilometers of data so far, and I think like 8 million um, videos of distraction events probably more than a million um, videos of um, uh, serious fatigue events, actually people falling asleep while driving trucks. Um, so just as we know from other applications and other markets that, uh, that the companies that are gathering data, you know, Amazon's machine learning algorithms are becoming more um, accurate. So is Netflix. So is Google search. Uh, it's the same thing here with driver monitoring is that what you need is this phenomenally large data set um, from which you can start to train and refine um, your algorithms for your machine learning algorithms to raise the uh, the performance of um, of the system. So essentially, when people talk to me and they say, who is the leading supplier? I say, uh, from a technology standpoint, my view as an analyst is that it is seeing machines and they have got an enormous lead over the competition, essentially because of this um, this this training, training um, system that they've got through the data from Guardian. Uh, that they can uh, train and refine the algorithms uh, to detect uh, different types of distraction, different types of fatigue, uh, different types of impairment. Ed? How, I mean, can, can you give us a little bit, I like to, since I don't follow DMS really closely, can you give us a little bit of like the the history of how this, uh, this has evolved? I think it's it's interesting in general to kind of just understand sort of, you know, how this the this systems have reached the point where they are now. But I think there's also, you know, one of the, the issues around Tesla and its decision not to use um, driver monitoring with uh, autopilot. Um, Elon Musk sort of has this claim that it, like the the technology didn't work, which so this would have been like the 2012-ish timeframe. 
Um, you know, I've spoken to folks uh, who have different views on that. So I'd like to, if you just give us a little bit of, of historical context for sort of how we got here and, and maybe with a little bit of a focus on sort of around that 2012 time period, what, what was available at the time? What was the technology like then? Okay, so I'm going to ask you both a question here. So what do you think was the first transportation application of driver monitoring systems? I'm going to guess aircraft, but I... Alex? Um, public transit? Construction? You're closer. Shipping? <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> Mining? I mean, I'm just I'm spitballing Mining here. trucks. Mining. Mining. Yeah. yeah. Really? Why? So, but why? Okay, why? have you ever actually seen physically that the caterpillar mining trucks no okay these things are huge like as big as like the bagger 288 was that a mining uh, uh, I mean, uh, as, like that in big? some cases as big as a house depending where you live and how big your house is but uh, they, they, so they're big and they're heavy and if the operator falls asleep operating one of those um and i actually got told that the downtime for one of those machines is about a million dollars an hour so essentially what happened was it was one of the Australian mining companies um, and seeing machines being an Australian company. There was some connection between those, th- th- those, those, those two companies there, um, um, uh, Australian, something to do with Australian mining. I don't know who the original company was, but essentially DMS got started in mining trucks. Um, and uh, it's another one of the reasons why I say seeing machines has a clear technology lead is because they were out the lab and they were in the in the field in the mine, if you like, before anybody else. Um, so they had systems uh, in the real world and they were experiencing uh, issues to do with vibration and issues to do with lighting and issues to do with weather and issues to do with uh, the, the, the harsh environment of mining years before anybody else uh, had systems actually out uh, uh, in use. So it's mining trucks, you know, pretty much the harshest transportation application possible, which is where seeing machines started. And then from there, they took that system and deruggedized it, and they put that into trucks. That became the first generation of the the Guardian fleet system. Um, about three years ago, they created the second generation of the Guardian fleet system, which was cheaper, lighter, easier to install. Um, and essentially what they've got now is 25,000 or so trucks actually out in the real world. And, and, and I call them R&D platforms. You know, really what they're doing is they are gathering this training data set that can be used uh, in the automotive uh, market. Um, so really, the reason that uh, GM was able to work with uh, seeing machines was because uh, they were the company with the most robust and most advanced technology in 2017. Now, the question about why didn't Tesla use uh, DMS in t- about the 2012 timeframe when they were uh, using it, I-, I don't know specifically, but the, what I would guess is that Um, There was some kind of exclusive deal somewhere between GM, Takata, and Seeing Machines, um, which might have been about the 2011 timeframe. I I don't know specifically. So had Elon gone to either Takata or Seeing Machines and said, hey, we'd like to use your system, there might actually have been some kind of exclusivity clause at the time, which prevented Tesla from using the Seeing Machine system. And again, if we look to the, uh, the, the really the, the second technology leader in the market, SmartEye, there's a possibility that they had some kind of exclusivity clause at the time. I, again, I don't know with their first design win, which was Audi, the Audi A8, the system called the, the ZFAS. <laughs> it's, it's funny to hear you say this because one would think that if those exclusivity deals were in place, that those OEMs that had gotten those deals would have marketed the hell out of those, the technology when it got to market. And yet neither of them really did. But go on, please. Well, this also brings up, I'm sorry, this brings up an interesting point that I want to get to as well, which is, which is the question of, you know, what consumers like. So I, my view and, and, you know, again, I don't know what happened, like what Tesla, what efforts Tesla made or anything, but I think that whether, whether consciously or, or by accident, um, by having a very advanced level two system without driver monitoring, it, it seems like right, it's really popular and it's popular because it doesn't force you to be safe, right? Like that to me, and we've talked about this a little bit on the show, but like, I think there's a little bit of a sense that people where people, they want to believe that these things are, you know, 
safer than them, right? Um, and that driver monitoring simply doesn't allow you to do what they want to do with that automation, which is look at their phone, right? Um, so, I mean, that's that's kind of one of the challenges that the DMS face, right? Is people say they want to be safe, but you know, what they want is convenience. Seen, yeah, what they've seen, what we've seen is that is that you know systems that don't have them are wildly popular. Part of that has to be that people want to use them unsafely, right? Well, I don't know if Colin can answer that question, but I would venture to say this. I would love to see, since I've used, you know, I love Super Cruise, it, and I've, I, I can definitely say Super Cruise reduces my stress on long drives, for sure, and improves my safety while I am not, you know, um, hands on wheel. I recently tried to uh, get, move my insurance, Geico, from uh, to, to, uh, from. Uh, New York State to Florida, and they offered me a ten percent discount if I submitted to, uh, I guess, their app, which has like an inertial sensor, like a motion sensor, and then my phone app to determine if I'm driving safely. I would love to see an insurance product linked to the use of DMS that lowered my premiums because I was using a real DMS camera enabled, properly implemented, you know, something like Super Cruise or even whatever the next generation Super Cruise is. But I, I, I feel like. DMS is the best safety technology that is poorly marketed. There's an inverse correlation between how good it is and how well it's been marketed. Which anyway. is hard to market, yeah. right? I mean, Colin, what are your what are your thoughts on on this? Is there a challenge? I mean, is that just something I'm imagining, or is there a real challenge in in marketing DMS? Nobody understands it. Nobody really knows about it. You, you know, it's like people know about Super Cruise and they know about the hands free functionality, but it, it really. People are, and this is really what Tesla's whole marketing campaign was about. It's kind of like, hey, look at us. And the number of, of press pieces that I read uh, that, uh, you know, hey, Tesla's self driving. And it's like, no. But that that's essentially, and Alex, I, I agree with what you're saying is that they really wanted the, uh, the Teslas to appear to be more autonomous than they really are. Um, and really, you only need to read anything ever published by the NTSB about uh, the Tesla crashes. And they're talking about automation complacency and, you know, the need for robust driver monitoring systems. Um, the, the simple fact of the matter is that I put this whole problem down to personal responsibility. It, you know, we're talking about vehicles which weigh between three and 6,000 pounds driven on public roads at highway speed. You know, we're talking 55 to 75 miles per hour and people, you know, I, I see it here in the UK, you know, people are driving down the road and they're looking at their phone. They're in close proximity to children and they're looking at their phone, you know, and it's like, what are people doing? And I think really what we're seeing is people almost almost regarding their phone use um, as as a human right. Um, and they get behind the, 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 the wheel of their car. And it's like, well, I want to I want to still be on social media. Um, and I think there's this whole societal thing. And really, we've seen it very much in the last 12 months about, you know, wear a mask. Don't wear a mask for any other reason as a courtesy to other people. Um, and mm. um, I think it's very much really about DMS. Is It's like, you know, drive responsibly. Pay attention. Don't drive tired. Don't drive drunk. Don't drive um, um, when you've taken drugs. Um, and I think there's a real essence of people need a lot of education really about the um, – the role of DMS, it's not actually there. I, 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 I would love to have a car with DMS in by virtue of the fact that I've got a, uh, got a Toyota and the ADAS system, the lane departure warning system, it is just infuriating because it is beeping at me all of the time. Um, and the, uh, the forward collision warning system, it gives me alerts when there's actually no danger whatsoever. Um, and if you use the signals from the driver monitoring system to um, tell the ADAS system how engaged and how attentive the driver is, you can turn most of these alerts off because I've got my eyes on the road. I'm actually watching what's going on. So you don't, because you always get these beeps at the most inopportune moment when I'm actually, uh, I'm not interested in, in what it's doing because I'm driving the car. So Colin, you have struck a really fundamental thing. It seems like, ADAS, driver assistance, and its relationship with DMS is been implemented almost backwards. If you in, in this right now, you buy a vehicle with ADAS and DMS, and if you are not engaged, then the ADAS is shut off and you're 
back and your t- your controls kick back to you when you are clearly not engaged. Logically, it would be the opposite. Someone who's not engaged, the, all the ADAS would be turned on to maximum level, right? <laughs> yeah. So my 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 Toyota, essentially the uh, automatic emergency braking. There's a little switch that I can push, and it's got high sensitivity, medium sensitivity, low sensitivity. And at the moment, it's set to low sensitivity because the other two settings are just really, really annoying. And really what we're talking about is, is what is, from a technical perspective, is called a closed loop control system, is that you are actually able to use the signals coming from the DMS in real time to alter the sensitivity of the, uh, the driver monitoring system. So if it's quite clear that my eyes are focused on the road and all of those uh, driver status um, signals are saying Colin is engaged in the task of driving. Colin is paying attention. Colin is looking at the road um, and something happens. The system doesn't necessarily need to issue me an alert just because I've, I've clipped the white line at the center of the at the edge of the lane. Um, and if you turn that around, if the uh, uh, the system has detected that I'm completely disengaged, that I'm not paying attention, that I've got eyes off road, that my eye gaze is focused on the center stack and I'm you know playing around with playlists and a child walks into the center of the road, the system, the ADAS system wants to go to maximum alert, maximum sensitivity, activate with maximum braking force immediately, uh, probably even more um, responsibly, uh, responsively than I would have done if I was um, uh, doing it myself. So with this closed loop control system, which you've got by essentially using feedback for what, how engaged is the driver, how attentive are they, how alert are they, how tired are they, uh, and all of these signals that you're measuring in real time, you can change the performance of either the braking system or the lane departure system, either uh, the way that it's working or the way that it's um, what I talk about, really warn, assist or intervene um, based on the status of how alert and how engaged is the driver. And we're kind of just getting started really on on this uh, uh, merging, you know, this coming together really of, of, of the driver um, uh, driver monitoring signals working in conjunction with the ADAS to vary the, uh, the, the performance and the sensitivity and the operation of the ADAS. All right. So earlier you were about to get into, I think, was this where you were going when you brought up human factors earlier in the episode? And I, 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 I cut you off. This relationship between the outputs of the perception system of the DMS and the inputs to the ADAS yeah, control? Exactly that. So what, what we're seeing really is, um, and there's there's all sorts of names for these sorts of systems now. I mean, Toyota, well, Toyota call it Guardian. So that, that's a different system to what the seeing machine's Guardian. Uh, VNR call it collaborative driving. Um, and it, it's very much what I've seen Qualcomm appear to be doing with uh, the, um, the their, their announcement from January is that they're putting together um, the uh, driving policy and the vision policy software stack from Arriver, uh, which is a, a, a now an independent company spun out of uh, VNR. And they're putting together the uh, the DMS software um, from Seeing Machines, and they're essentially completely validating an entire system with ADAS and driver monitoring. Um, and I suspect when we start to learn more about this system, when it, it um, uh, more is said about it, what we're going to see is it's starting to look very much like um, the sort of Toyota Guardian systems that we've talked about. That the the vehicle can actually understand. How attentive is the driver? How engaged is the driver from the driver monitoring system? Um, and then the car actually has the ability to to make modifications to either the speed, so it will make um, lateral, uh, sorry, longitudinal interventions, or it could potentially even actually change the steering angle, um, to st- so um, um, autonomous emergency steering, um, and actually steer the car around um, uh, an obstruction, a child. Uh, um, or, or whatever. So this is all about the way that how do we improve, how do we make human drivers safer drivers by using technology? Um, really, it's a lot about augmenting the the, the best characteristics of humans because, um, you know, we have got great perception. We've got great path planning. You know, we've got great prediction skills, but we get tired, we get distracted, we get impaired, uh, we get drowsy. Um, so really what we're looking at now is, is the coming together of uh, ADAS and DMS in ways that the, the actual performance of the car is changed. Um, Mobileye talk about uh, RSS, which is uh, responsibility. It's a, 
sensitive responsibility safety. sensitive safety thank you ed um and so they've got the kind of the the adas side of it um and as i've written about previously uh mobileye have <laughs> no and boy did you boy. No, no, no go ahead can you explain this because i think a lot of people it's really easy to think that you know dms you have you go to a vendor um you know like seeing machines or, or any of the others and you just sort of slap it onto your system like it's just a module you just put on the end of it so to speak um, but but sort of you, that piece that you're referencing right now um, sort of implied something very different. Could you just sort of help explain why DMS isn't just something that anyone can go, like you can develop an ADAS system and then just go to anyone and just plop it on there? Why does it need to, like, what, what is the integration was required of that integration? And, and feel free to share the head, the, the story title of that, of that because it really paints the picture. <laughs> I can't remember the title off the top of my head. Can you remember, Alex? <laughs> It was something to the extent of uh, Mobileye is really missed the boat on DMS. How will they ever catch up? Something to that yeah, effect. Yeah, I, I, I still can't remember it, but uh, let, let me talk and let me see if it comes back to you while I'm talking. So what this comes down to is why is Mobileye so good at ADAS? Okay, and what they've got is this... Um, hardware and software system so they've got uh they've got algorithms uh the software algorithms but they've also got in their iq chips they've got really good custom accelerators and and the the the, the hardware and the software they work together in a, a very very tightly coupled performance so from an adas perspective uh mobile eye has completely dominated the the last 10 years you know no, no questions about that the point to understand is that on the iq chips they have got very, very specialist hardware, custom acceleration to run their software. Um, there's a lot of, of intellectual property in, 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 the, um, um, uh, in the chips. What they're not doing is they're not running ADAS on a standard CPU core using either the ARM or the MIPS architecture because that just, that, that just doesn't work. You can't, you can't get enough performance out of the system in real time. And again, we're getting into slightly technical stuff here for uh, for the nature of what we're talking about here, but you can't just run ADAS uh, on uh, completely in a CPU um, and get the kinds of levels of performance that uh, that, that that you would expect from uh, a Mobileye system. So what Mobileye have then done is they've essentially said like, oh yeah, we can tick the box for DMS, we can do this fine because what we've done is we've taken one of the the MIPS cores which are on our IQ4 chip um, and we've programmed that. We've put some software on here to run the uh, the DMS algorithms from Sepia. So they've gone down a completely software approach um, uh, for the DMS side, which is going to work absolutely fine right now with maybe you know 20 to 30 frames per second vision analytics, um, maybe at about a one megapixel um, uh, uh, image resolution um, for, for the vision systems. But the direction that we're going into is towards much faster um, video analytics. You get much more information from working at 60 frames per second. Um, and also the resolution of the imager is going up um, from one megapixel to two megapixels. And from the information that was uh, published by Qualcomm, there seems to be some indication that it's going to four megapixel or eight megapixel. You've got more pixels, you've got more information, but you need more processing power to able to, to, to do more frames per second and to do more pixels, which means you need more hardware acceleration. So the, the point that I'm making is that this IQ4 chip um, is fine for the ADAS side, um, but they've got uh, essentially a, a dead end on the DMS side. It will work now, but if I look at really the direction that Qualcomm is going into, um, they've got the ADAS and they've got the DMS software optimized for their hardware acceleration, for their, their, their custom hardware accelerators. And that's the direction that the industry is going into. So essentially what you can't do is you can't just run high performance, um, functionally safe uh, automotive grade software for DMS just on a, a, a standard um, ARM or MIPS core. And, and in the future, you'll, there'll be a correlation between improved safety and improved uh, processing speed and imager quality. Exactly that, because what you are doing is you are gathering more information mm -hmm. in real time about the driver's attention state. So you might find sometimes you just get a very quick glint off the eye, and that might give you a very quick piece of information about the driver's eye gaze vector. 
at 60 frames per second and with a much higher resolution, you've got more information, you've got more frames per second, and you've got more pixels that you can process to understand that information. So that that's really, and this is very much why I said Qualcomm looks to have a very clear roadmap going forward and Mobileye doesn't because what Mobileye is doing is they're trying to do a software-only DMS um, approach. Yeah. And they don't have a software-only ADAS approach. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, that this is what I'm coming back to, is that the, the, the IP um, in their design is in their hardware acceleration. And yet they're saying, oh, yeah, uh, but for DMS, it's, it's fine. We can, do that. we can do this on, uh, uh, on a MIPS core um, using uh, a software-only approach. And I, I simply disagree with that. Uh, and we'll see what happens. But I, I vehemently disagree with that approach. Um, that uh, really what I see going forward is, is how do you – um, embed the algorithms um, uh, into the system uh, to get maximum performance, and you you just you just can't do high performance vision analytics and software only. So uh, a lot of the conversations in Atonicast around DMS uh, I guess were precipitated by this uh, Euro NCAP requiring some kind of DMS in order to get a five star safety rating. Uh, I'm a little unclear on the dates when that will become true and even on the details behind the Euro NCAP uh, initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it seems like that's uh, once that happens, the dominoes will start to fall for DMS requirements globally. Okay, so there's really th- actually three parts to this. So um, the first part is Euro NCAP, as indeed you say. Um, and I too am unclear about what the DMS testing protocols are going to be because they haven't specified that yet. I'm also unclear of the date. So uh, it was originally they were going to be testing uh, for um, DMS in 2022. Um, There's then talk of, I'd heard 2024. I'm now seeing people talking about 2023. Um, But what I would say is uh, here we are, you know, end of first quarter 2021. to actually have vehicles in production that are available to test even in 2023, uh, or even in 2024 is pushing it quite tightly, but to be testing, to, to actually have have read the test protocols and said, okay, so, you know, we need, we've we, we got to go with seeing machines or we've got to go with SmartEye or, or you know, it, it's low quality, we can go with somebody else. Um, so you've got the issue really, uh, and we're still waiting. And I'm I, I, at Euro NCAP, you know, that they, they've, they're, they're taking their time, let's put it like that. Um, there's a second part here, and this is and this is completely unrelated to Euro NCAP, and it's what's called the General Safety Regulation, um, and this is the European mandate for safety technology that's coming into effect uh, in Europe. For driver monitoring systems, um, you are required to have uh, a, 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 well, essentially a vision-based DMS um, from the middle of 2022 onwards for a supercruise type system. Um, and from the middle of 2024 onwards, uh, essentially for everything else. And that the critical date is by the middle of 2026. Um, and let's use an example as we keep talking about them. Unless Tesla fit um, a driver monitoring system, which meets the criteria, um, they won't be able to sell their vehicles at all in Europe. Um, so the clock is ticking there. So these are the kind of the uh, the Euro NCAP and the, the European GSR General Safety Regulation are sort of the uh, the regulatory side of it, um, and so many people seem to be completely focused on Euro NCAP and what Euro NCAP is going to say that they're not paying attention to what is happening with Qualcomm. And again, this is why I wrote so much about Qualcomm is because they are now revolutionising what we can call the digital cockpit. Um, and there's all sorts of names that you can use it to, to describe what's going on, but I call it like the iPhone effect. So, you know, the, the high resolution, uh, graphical interface, um, that we've, we've seen from the iPhone. Everybody says, you know, why, why is the driver monitor, why is the navigation system in my car so poor? Why is it so unresponsive? Um, it, it's because, um, the, the, the processing power of the systems is, uh, is nowhere close to what you get in the applications processor of. Uh, of a smartphone. And so, you know, the company that has done applications processes for smartphones, Qualcomm, is now bringing its expertise um, into uh, the automotive environment. Um, So what we're going to see in the next, you know, three to five years is just this total, total change in the the digital cockpit um, to very high resolution graphics, uh, 
um, uh, very intuitive user interface. Uh, we're going to see voice assistants coming in. Uh, you know, there's a lot being talked now about um, Amazon uh, Alexa automotive. Um, and there's really the way that the human, the way that the driver interacts with the car um, is going to change radically. And it, it just follows from what Qualcomm's strategy is around seeing machines and around DMS, that eye gaze is going to be part of the change in the user experience and the change in the user interface um, going forwards. So really what I'm seeing is um, what looks like, and I think it's 19 of the top 20 OEMs or 19 of the top 25, I can't remember exactly what the number is, um, have already signed up for Qualcomm's uh, cockpit applications processor. Um, so what we're going to see in, in just the next, you know, three to five years is just a complete transformation in the way that people use their cars, uh, exist in their cars. Um, and DMS is just going to be a central feature of um, the, the Qualcomm system and the, the, uh, the user interface and the user experience. And it is digital cockpit, which is by far and away the highest specification, highest performing application for DMS. And, and Euro NCAP is kind of like right at the other end. You know, it's like we're asking questions there of, you know, is it even going to have um, eye gaze tracking? Um, and yet on the digital cockpit side, um, it's going to be all singing, all dancing, all bells or whistles. And, and again, this is part of the reason why I write so much about Apple and iCar is because they've got to come in. Apple have got to come in and got to compete with something which is a showcase for their technology, for what they can do um, for uh, leading edge technology in the car. Um, and again, eye gaze control and uh, DMS will be central to, uh, I think, um, uh, the the Apple iCar. So, go ahead, Ed. I was just I was going to say it's fascinating that that that's that technological breakthrough is happening right when sort of level two systems seem to be on the cusp of becoming like pretty ubiquitous, right? And and a lot of the forecasts sort of have level two or, or comparable kind of uh, systems, you know, in, in a lot of price points in the next couple of product cycles, basically. So it's, uh, I guess it, it's not a coincidence, is it, that <laughs> that this critical step in, in DMS technology is taking place right around the same time? Is it, are they related or is it, yeah, we just get lucky? So it, this is actually, this is, this is all about Qualcomm. It's why I write about them. You know, I'm an, I'm an analyst, you know, I look at, I look at news, I look at events and I say, Okay, this is what I think is going on. You, you know, I, I am, if you like, a professional opinion former. You know, it's it's my job to to say what I think is going on. And I always say to people, I'm an analyst, not a time traveler, so I don't know what the future is going to be. But I'm saying, with the information that we can see in the public domain, this is what it looks like is happening. So, automotive redefined um, by Qualcomm uh, at the end of January was a. a a seismic uh, event uh, in automotive. And a lot of it is about because they have um, developed uh, the applications processor. Um, the fourth generation is the one that they announced at the event. Uh, we got some more details about the Snapdragon ride um, processor. And within that knuckle duggle when he was interviewed by Junko Yoshida for EE Times, um, he said, you know, essentially that, you know, DMS is just like a standard feature from the conversations that we're having. Um, and we're starting to see that, that uh, the things that are uh, events and the, the developments that we're starting to see about level two really starting to uh, uh, to rise in volumes now. You know, whether it, you know, we talk about level two or level two plus, you know, I, I don't want to get into to J3016. Mm -hmm. um, but essentially, the, the, the key enabler is uh, for me is is Qualcomm and what it's doing with uh, uh, Arriva, uh, the, the, uh, the driving policy and, uh, and vision policy company. Um, and seeing machines on the, the DMS side. And I, I just don't think people have really quite grasped just how big an event that actually was and how big a seismic shift uh, that was in terms of the rollout of the technologies, not just for the digital cockpit, but as you correctly said, Alex, the way that DMS can be integrated with ADAS um, for a, a, level two, a level two highway assist system. Um, and really, in the next uh, two, three years, as those uh, those systems start to uh, to come into uh, to volume production, um, we're going to see many, many more implementations of systems that look a lot like Super Cruise, um, with much more advanced uh, DMS. I, th I think probably the most advanced DMS that we're going to see this year is likely to be in BMW's iDrive Eight. 
um, in the i4 and the ix. Um, and my judgment is that that's a seeing machine system. Um, we're also looking at um, Ford's Active Drive Assist um, just going into production now in the F-150 and the Mustang Mark E. And again, my judgment there is that that is also a seeing machine system. Um, so from that side, it's looking like seeing machines is starting to, to pull away into uh, certainly from a, a, um, a design work um, uh, lead. It is interesting to think that Qualcomm deploys this, these, this cockpit technology and I guess DMS becomes ubiquitous, and yet the quality of the integration of, or the quality of the outputs of the DMS and, and how that feeds back into uh, ADAS behavior may vary widely, even if the sensors, the hardware is there and the, and the software is there, that that back end, that, that back half of the closed loop um, may be very different depending on, depending on the OEM. Um, Here's a question for you. You made a list uh, earlier, I guess, in 2020 of the main players. And I, I the when you made the list, I recall it was Scipia, Jungo, C-Machine, SmartEye, Experian, Effectiva. Uh, that was sometime last year. Do you recall that? Uh, because I remember after that, I, I there was a story that came out about Amazon putting in these DMSs in their trucks. And the company they use is a company called Netrodyne. And suddenly, the, the, the narrative around DMS shifted from safety, from, I think we all agree, the safety benefits of DMS sh- shifted to privacy issues. Could you explain what makes a DMS, uh, you know, where there might be a privacy issue and how to resolve it, or if it's even an issue? And this is really where we come back to Tesla. Um, and what I'm seeing is we've got, we've got, if you like, everybody and Tesla. Um, and that, that, that almost seems to be like Tesla are doing something completely different. Um, so I'm going to talk about privacy and um, uh, then we can come back to Tesla if you want. So, so many people say, OK, so you've got a, 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 a camera in the cabin. Um, that's a that that's an issue around privacy. And the question that I ask is, okay, so let's say that the automaker are going to do that. Let's say that they're actually recording video. Um, and let's say that they're going to transmit that back to, um, uh, you know, some cloud data center. You know, the question that I always ask people is, and do what? So, so there's an hour of me driving a car, you know, I mean, I don't pick my nose, but, you know, let's say, let's say that they, it's got video footage of Colin picking his nose, you know, or, 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 or I've got a particular brand of, uh, you know, subway roll that I like or something like that. And it's like, what would the automakers actually do with raw video footage of me driving a car? Um, I, I don't know if either of you could actually think of what the privacy issue is around that, because it's like, you know, I'm, I'm basically sitting there and I'm looking forward. Um, so, this is so many people say like, oh, you know, it's the spy and the cab. And, uh, you know, I, I hear all of this, but I, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to actually record, you know, like 15 minutes or 20 minutes of video, high, high resolution, high def- definition video, and then actually transfer it from your cell phone to like, say, Dropbox. Um, it takes a really long time, you, you know, um, uh, uh, and that might improve with um, uh, 5G connections. Um, but I, I come back to the, the, the issue of what are the what are the car manufacturers going to do with, you know, what would be petabytes of information, uh, essentially, of people driving a car? Um, so I, I don't actually understand really what people expect the automakers to do with all of this video data. So I, I kind of I, I don't really see it as an issue about privacy. And, and certainly when I put that in context of um, the amount of information that people give away with uh, voice assistants um, or, uh, you know, location tracking in phones uh, or cookies on their web browsers, um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of information that we actually give away. I mean, I think, I think those areas are actually a bigger privacy concern than driver monitoring. So really, all that's all that's happening is pretty much every DMS system that I know of, apart from one, and I'm going to come back to them, is a closed loop system, um, and it's doing all of the processing locally. It's looking at uh, what is going on with the driver, essentially, what is their drowsiness level, what is their impairment level, what is their distraction level, 
and then how do we engage with uh, the driver to bring them back if they're uh, they're, they're 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 coming out of the, the task of driving? So it's a it's a closed loop system. It's all the processing is done locally, um, and all of the functionality really is safety work, safety analysis by knowing what the driver is doing in the car in real time. We then come to this situation and. I just don't know what they're trying to do. I don't understand what Tesla are trying to do with this uh, in-cabin camera, um, which doesn't have infrared functionality. Um, it seems to have some kind of classification about where the driver is looking and what they're doing. Um, and if the goal is actually to be able to assign blame for was the driver not looking at the road or did the driver have their eyes closed for you know one second in the, uh, the five seconds before the, the, the crash – if that's what Tesla is looking to do, in my opinion, that is a privacy issue and that is an invasion of people's privacy. And it comes back to this saying, you know, once is unfortunate, twice is a pattern. So what, what Tesla did around autopilot, um, I have some issues about that, but this is a conversation about DMS and we won't, get, uh, we, we won't go off into that. But now all of a sudden they seem to be using the in-cabin camera and, and really doing things which look like they've got real issues about um, about privacy and about uh, assigning blame in the event of a crash to the driver. Um, and it's almost like, and I don't know if this is what they're doing, but again, as a, an opinion former, it's, it's the conclusion that I come to is they're trying to muddy, or they might be trying to muddy the waters because they're not that they've, they've got this, this uh, reputation for not taking DMS seriously and not using DMS for, um, for safety purposes, and are they trying to burn the reputation of DMS already um, by doing privacy-related um, issues? So, whatever they're doing, what, what, whatever their goal with that that ca- uh, in-cabin camera, um, it is not safety-related. And if they're transmitting footage, um, and essentially the goal is to throw the, the the human driver under the bus in the event of an autopilot crash, um, that's going to have some implications for uh, DMS going forwards. It, it's so fascinating to me that people are so loyal and passionate to Tesla, but you look at what they've done here and not only have they chosen not to implement a, a driver monitoring system to keep people safe when they're using that system and, and multiple people now have died due to inattention using that system, but then uh, they take the, the camera that's in the car, which granted probably is not up to, to actually performing a, a really you know quality a robust uh, driver monitoring system, but they use that then to blame people uh, for doing what behavioral psychologists say is inevitable when you put them in a system like that without monitoring. So I, I can see how this, I can see how Twitter is going to respond to Ed's latest comment. Fans, fans are, it's just fascinating that fans are so loyal, loyal to Tesla, but, but Tesla just so consistently, you know, puts its own desires uh, you know ahead of even the 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 health and safety of of their own customers i it just anyway i <laughs> uh, so uh colin this list of companies you mentioned sipia jungo sea machine smart eye xperia effectiva arriver uh and then you've got there's a handful of even newer guys if sea machines is so far ahead um what is the future of the sector uh, are we going to see how long before we see consolidation or acquisitions of sea machines or the others? And is there anything, I mean, is, has this ship sailed or is there room for innovation um, from startups in DMS? Uh, two part question there. So let me try and remember those two parts. Um, so is there room for innovation? Uh, there is always room for innovation. Um, um, the question is, it takes you so long to get qualified in automotive um, to go through the the testing and the the validation and the verification, um, that essentially that acts as a moat uh, in the automotive market. So I, I'm inundated with uh, requests for discussions from people who ha- have developed a DMS, um, and they uh, essentially want to talk to me to say like, how do we get into the automotive market? Um, and I, I'm saying to most of them, it's kind of like I think you can probably do better things with your with your funding. Um, than to try and get into d- automotive DMS. So th- there is always space for, for new new competitors. Um, but really what you need to remember is that the automakers um, are uh, go through this exhaustive validation and verification process. You know, when it comes to developing automotive-grade software and automotive-grade systems, um, I say it, it takes forever and then a little longer. And essentially, that's what's happened. Really, is is that that almost nothing, very much, has happened uh, around uh, DMS deployments. 
um, because there's been so much development going on and so much development work happening. Um, and a lot of that is around Qualcomm um, and seeing machines. And again, I come back to that is, is such a big deal uh, in uh, um, uh, the, the, the life cycle of, of DMS. Um, will seeing machines be acquired? Um, the issue that I raised earlier on about there being some kind of exclusivity, and I don't know where the exclusivity exactly was, but I think it was between Takata as a tier one and seeing machines. Um, what that showed was um, it doesn't make sense for the seeing machines intellectual property to be owned exclusively by one tier one company because automakers, they will prefer to work with certain tier ones and there are certain automakers that absolutely won't work with other tier ones. So if, if seeing machines was, for example, bought by Bosch or bought by Conti or uh, any other company, it, it would completely exclude that technology from uh, certain automakers. Um, now, what I'm really interested in is the intellectual property play that seeing machines has come up with. They've come up with a, a, a DMS core uh, called Ocular. Um, which can be licensed by uh, any chip company. It could be licensed by a tier one if they wanted to. It, it could actually, if, if, if the automakers wanted to develop their own chips, and we know one that's done that, um, the, the automakers themselves could actually license Ocular um, and use um, uh, DMS um, uh, directly on, on their own chips. So, there's a company, and I'm a technology analyst, and, and I know Autonocast, you know, some of it's probably technology-based, some of them aren't. But there's a company in the, uh, the, 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 the CPU space called Arm, Arm Holdings, who were bought um, several years ago by SoftBank and are currently trying to be bought uh, or, or taken over by, by NVIDIA. Um, and I always said to them, like, whatever you do, don't get bought. Um, because... It was the independence of ARM as a company that they could license their technology to absolutely everybody and stay out of the the day to day politics of 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 losing their independence and actually being in you know one part of a technology camp. So ARM as a technology makes almost no sense to be bought by Nvidia, and there's all sorts of competition issues which are flying around now between Qualcomm and Google and and various other tech companies. So what I come back to is. The, the, the seeing machines technology itself, and this is just my perspective, you know, as a, an opinion former, this is just my view, is that, that they've, they've now got a way to uh, license their technology to absolutely everybody because they can license it to uh, license the ocular core uh, to anybody who wants it. Um, so I actually think from a, a seeing machines perspective, one, it doesn't make any sense for them to be owned outright by a particular tier one uh, or even really a technology company. Uh, Two, there's not really any necessity to buy a company when you can license the software anyway. Um, and three, the technology that we're seeing is so safety critical. And it, it, my professional judgment, they have such a huge technology lead over their competitors um, that I think lots and lots of automakers are going to be wanting to use Seeing Machines technology um, either in the digital cockpit, which is part of the Qualcomm uh, agreement, uh, or for some kind of level two highway assist system, similar, features similar to Super Cruise. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what the future will look like, um, but I'm really hoping that seeing machines uh, won't be immediately gobbled up um, by you know a, a tier one or an automaker, um, whether they get bought by Qualcomm or whether they get bought by uh, Nvidia or whatever. mobile uh, Intel. <laughs> yeah, possible, possible. Um, you know, I'm sure if if somebody offered their um, uh, you know their major investors you know twenty billion dollars, then um, um, they might uh, might have to think about it. But uh, I, whatever it was that uh, that um, Intel bought Mobileye for. 15, yeah. But yeah, yeah. But but essentially what, what I see is that you don't necessarily need to buy seeing machines to have access to their technology. And I think really the, the life-saving potential of the, the technology that they've developed is so huge that it actually makes sense really for them. Again, I, I, it's it's not my business. It's just, just my opinion. It makes much more sense for that safety technology for them to remain as an independent company and actually simply to license that technology to as many companies that want to use it rather than somebody tries to, to grab them and, and have everything for themselves. Absolutely. Well, we are, yeah, we are just about out of time, but um, I think that's a, a pretty good place to, uh, to leave it sort of looking ahead to the future. 
Um, I'm really excited that we we finally were able to have this conversation. I know Alex has mentioned your name and his desire to to have you on an episode in about 10 past Atonicast episodes, uh, more or less. So um, thank you so much for making the time to uh, to come and speak with us today. That was absolutely great fun. I'm really pleased to have been here. Thank you very much, Ed. Thanks very much, Alex. And wait a second. If anyone wants to learn more about your work or semicasts, what's the best place to look for you? Uh, my advisory and consultancy services can be booked through uh, GLG and GuidePoint. Uh, you can uh, find my research reports uh, at semicast.net. Um, I don't do very much on Twitter, uh, but you're welcome to follow me on there. And you can regularly find me writing as the seriously skeptical columnist in EE Times. Highly recommend. Really He's been very feisty over there. Uh, all right. As usual, I'm Alex Roy, 144 on all platforms. And Ed Niedermeyer is Tweetermeyer on Twitter. Thanks. And we'll see you here again on another episode of the Atonicast. Cast.